Am I on? I'm on? I'm on now. Good, good. It's great to be here and to bring God's word to you this morning. I hope you're all well. Now, the media tells us that we're in a time where anxiety, stress, and depression are on the increase because of the pandemic that's going on in the nation around. And if that's you this morning, if you're feeling increasingly anxious or stressed or depressed at it, can I encourage you, as 1 Peter 5 tells us to, to cast our anxieties onto Jesus, or God, it says in that, the song's Jesus, isn't it? The, the passage says God, because uh, he cares for you. Now, God isn't a distant God. He is a very present help in the time of trouble, Psalm 46 tells us. And whilst there are seasons in life, some harder than others, and this is definitely a harder season for most of us, actually God, as we've looked at in Psalm 23, will lead us through. He is in charge. And so don't give in to fear. Don't give in to depression or despair. Cast your anxieties and all those other uh, emotions onto Jesus because he cares for you. Use this time to focus more on Jesus. Use this time to pray to him more. Use this time to say, God, what do you want me to be doing for you? I want to serve you more. Because obedience to Christ in the furnace of a trial allows God to produce spiritual gems in you that will enrich your life far more than any earthly treasure ever could. So just encourage you in this time, focus on Jesus, come to him, give him any worries or concerns. Obviously, we're going for a series looking at the... In, uh, the um, what is it? The uniqueness of Christ. There's so many uh, uh, incomparable Christ. The uniqueness of Jesus. Different books that I've read uh, on it. We're looking one at the uh, uniqueness of Christ. The name of our series, and we've looked at how He is the most influential person in all of history because He is the Lord of history. We looked at how He last week. We looked at how He's fully God, fully man, the Son of God, and the Son. Of man, And today, we're going to be looking at the period of time which is known as B.C. Not before Corona, but before Christ. But as we look at today, and as we go through the Bible, you will quickly realize that actually there never was a time before Christ. So it's correctly presented as that, question mark, question mark, question mark, because Jesus has always been. And we'll also look at today the mystery of the incarnation, God, that is becoming man, him taking on human form, him taking on flesh. But to start with, for a bit of fun, I'm going to go around and ask some people a question this morning. And the question is going to be, what is your earliest memory? What's your earliest memory? I'll start, so while you're thinking about that, mine was this, 1981, December 1981, and it was Christmas time, we'll come up to Christmas time, my uncle had just come back from, I think it was Holland, and he was staying with us at that Christmas time, and he looked at me and said to me, Simon, how old are you? And I looked at him with a big smile, proud and said, I'm free, and held up three fingers to him like that. And then he gave me this little present, and I opened it, and it was a little black wallet 
with just one zip on the top and a little horse and jockey uh, on there. And that was my birthday present that he, that he had given me. So that's my earliest memory. Anyway, let's go this way. Doug's looking very smart with a new haircut. Let's go and ask Doug. My earliest memory is when we went to see my uncle, who was a coalman, and I was uh, allowed to sit on the engine cover in his lorry. I was about three years old. Three years as well. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of three years this, this morning at the first service. Let's see what Janet's memory is. My family getting a puppy when I was about four, I think. Wow, yeah, puppy, lovely. Derek? I think my earliest memory is a meeting where people were preaching Jesus and I gave my heart to the Lord, and since then, uh, life has changed totally, absolutely, irrevocably. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, let's come to Anna. What's your earliest memory, Anna? When my, cousin, when my cousins came from Canada three years ago. Wow, so how old were you, roughly? Four, I think. Okay, four. There you go, there you go. Let's come back this way. Who's looking like they definitely don't want me to? Who's looking like... Mm, no, 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 no. Getting some... No, over there. Let's come round here to Phillips, I think. My earliest memories when I think it was when I was uh, with my... Grandma and my dad was at work, and my mom was at hospital, and because of Patrick, because he wasn't yet born. Ah, yes, very good, very good, lovely, lovely. I think that's that's enough. That's enough there. We um, in Anna's family, my wife's family. There's there's two two batches, if you like. There's David, Anna, and Rebecca. Uh, they're like the older a lot. And then there's a gap of about 11, 12 years. And then there's Daniel. And then there's William. And William, when he was younger, he used to see family photos of Dave, Anna, and uh, Becky sort of playing in the sand and that sort of thing when they were five or six. And then say, where am I in those photos? And we say, William, you, you weren't alive. And he's like, oh, no, but there's my arm. Because there'd be some random arm in the photo or something like that. No, 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 William, you weren't alive. Oh, no, yeah, I was just sitting over there. No, William... You weren't alive. It was hard for him and, and for lots of children when they're younger to appreciate and realize there was a time before they were. When it comes to Jesus, there never was a time before he was because Jesus is the eternal son of God. Sanders says in his book, on it, Jesus was unique among men in that his birth did not mark his origin, but only his appearance as a man on the stage of time. And uh, at the beginning of John's gospel, John makes this clear that Jesus is eternal. And it's going to appear on the screen behind me and it's going to stay up there because actually this is a key verse which we are key verses that we're going to look at today and everything I want to say actually could be drawn out from this passage John is making it very clear to us that his rabbi his master his his teacher that he followed as a man wasn't just a man but that he was the eternal 
God. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. And you've got to think, how is this possible that John, as a monotheistic Jew, whose identity right from infancy, whose identity as a nation of Israel would come from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. One God. How has John come to this decision? He would have known Isaiah 48, where it says about God that um, he is the first and the last, and he doesn't share his glory with anybody. He would have read Isaiah 45, which says, if you were to look at Isaiah 45, 18 to 23, I'll just pick some verses out there. It says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God, who, who says, who, sorry, who formed the earth and made it. I am the Lord, and there is no other. And there is no other God beside me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. And there is no other. To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue swear allegiance. Does that remind you of a passage in the New Testament? Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, where every tongue confesses and every knee bows to Jesus Christ as Lord. Staying with John's gospel as it's up there. John makes it clear that Jesus made everything, and yet Isaiah says God made everything. John makes it clear that the Word was with God, separate from God, but also the Word was God. Hang on a sec, how does, how does that work? He also makes clear about Jesus by saying in the beginning was the word, he is highlighting that Jesus has been there from the beginning. That is, Jesus is eternal, but only God can be eternal. Jesus himself prays this in John 17, verse 5. Jesus says this in the high priestly prayer. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He was there before the world existed. And he can pray, glorify me, and yet God won't share his glory with somebody else. Therefore, Jesus must be one with the Father in a way that we can't, as humans, fully grasp or understand. Also, the Holy Spirit intentionally reminds us in this opening passage of John's gospel 
of the words in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, the Word. He's reminding us of that. And what you may or may not know about Genesis 1, if you read that, that first chapter, in the Hebrew, every time it mentions God, the noun for God is always in the plural form, whereas the verb, when God's doing something, is always in the singular, hinting at the fact that there's something more to this one God than we can fully understand. And if you go through that first chapter, you, you see this sort of a, this, this hinting getting stronger because God says, let us, plural, let us make man, singular, in our image. Back into the, the plural again. And then God creates man, and so you expect to see a man, but the very next verse is male and female, he made them. So right from the first chapter of the Bible, it is clear that there is more to the Lord God Almighty than we can fully grasp. And God deliberately, throughout Scripture, up until the New Testament, hints at the wonderful truth that we would call the Trinity. One God who has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of them equal or a better way of putting it is all of them are fully God. So the Father's fully God, the Son's fully God, the Spirit's fully God. It's not one plus one plus one equals God. No, no, they're all fully God. And yet there's not three gods. There's one God. But we're focusing on Jesus this morning. We, we talked on the Trinity um, a while back in the church in the last uh, two years. We we looked at that in one of our series there. But we're going to stay focused on Jesus because John makes it clear in his passage that no one has seen God, the Father. And yet in the Old Testament, there's these strange encounters where people meet with somebody they think it's an angel or a man, and yet during that encounter, they suddenly realize that they are meeting with none other than God himself. The theologians call them theophanies, appearing of, of, of God. They're probably better understand and understood in the light of what John says as Christophanies, you know, Jesus appearing in the Old Testament, because it would have been the eternal Son of God appearing in those in those encounters. Although to me, Christophanes sounds a bit like a Nordic name, doesn't it really? I, I am Simon Davidson, aren't I? That's my Nordic name from, uh, from Owen. And Christophanes sounds a bit like Jesus's, uh, you know, sort of Swedish name or something uh, like, like that. But, um, but it's God appearing. And these confusing encounters happen throughout scripture. So you see in Genesis 18, Abraham sitting there under a tree, looks up and three men are coming towards him. He meets with them and partway through he realizes that the leader of the three is none other than God and he calls him the judge of all the earth and then asks him questions that are only appropriate of God. The next one you see is in Genesis 32 with Jacob and we're just going to watch a short video of this now. This is Jacob. 
Jacob is grown up now, but when he was younger, he had done a very bad thing, and he had deceived his brother Esau out of his birthright. It was even worse because Esau was actually Jacob's twin brother. But Jacob had been so, so badly behaved that Esau had wanted to kill Jacob and was so angry, so Jacob had had to run away. God had really blessed Jacob and given Jacob many good things. Jacob now has two wives and 11 sons and many cattle and animals. He's on a long journey. And then he finds out that his brother Esau, who he had run away from all that time ago, was ahead of him in the journey. And Jacob is very afraid about what might happen next. So Jacob has a little think and comes up with a devious plan, which of course is Jacob's speciality. That same night, Jacob took his two wives, his two concubines and his 11 children and crossed the river. And he sent them across, but he stayed behind alone. Then a man came and wrestled with Jacob until daybreak. When the man saw that he was not winning the struggle, he struck Jacob on the hip and it was thrown out of joint. The man said, let me go, daylight is coming. Jacob answered, I won't unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. You have struggled with God and with men and you have won. So your name will be Israel. Jacob said, now you tell me your name. But he answered, why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed Jacob. Jacob said, I have seen God face to face and I am still alive. And he named the place he was at the face of God. The sun rose as Jacob was leaving this place and Jacob was limping because of his hip. And of course, God did bless Israel. Israel became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And from the tribe of Judah, Jesus was born. That's great. As you can see, me and Anna are not going to go into film production. Uh, too many hands and fingers in the way and not focusing. That, that's, why, that's why, you know, we let Owen do all that, that sort of thing uh, normally. So, God appears to Jacob. God appears to Joshua. Joshua in Joshua 5 has this strange encounter with the, the, uh, the guy there who has a drawn sword. And Joshua goes up to him somewhat nervously and, uh, and says, are you for us or against us? And he says, neither. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And, uh, and then Joshua ends up worshipping this guy. And worship is only appropriate for God. You know, elsewhere in the Bible, angels stop uh, people worshipping them. So clearly, it was an encounter with God. Gideon in Judges 6. He's there hiding and threshing out wheat. And, uh, uh, and he has an encounter with the angel of the Lord. And he realizes afterwards, he says, I have seen God face to face, and yet I have lived. And then my, one of my favorite ones is in Josh, uh, Judges 13. And I'll read it to you because I love the response of the wife. 
Those of you who are married here, you might even hear your wife's voice in the wife of Manoah. So, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord, the person he had seen. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, don't be so stupid. No, she didn't say that. It just says, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would have not accepted our burnt offering and grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things. He's basically saying, don't be so silly. If God wanted you dead, you'd be dead already, silly man. Uh, but uh, you see, all these encounters and others are the eternal son of God coming in the likeness of a man often and fulfilling God's purposes here on earth. So Jesus has always been. And yet the prophets spoke of a time where there would be this unique king who would come who would be somehow mysteriously linked to God himself. So Isaiah, 700 years before Christ is born, prophesied this, and we read it at most Christmas times. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Oh, okay so far. But then the next name is given, Mighty God, Everlasting Father of this baby, this doesn't seem right, Prince of Peace. Micah, at a similar time, also prophesied about the town of Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient times ancient there's only one ancient of days so how can someone come forth from ancient times you see now we've established that Jesus clearly has always been and has been active through history let's consider now why he chose to enter uh, how he entered history and why the ancient of days chose to enter history so moving on it's a look at how the mighty God becomes a living man, pinching a line from a Bob Marley's song, changing it slightly because it's not Hail Celesi, it's obviously Jesus Christ is the mighty God. But um, anyway, Sanders in his book says, it appears in the, in, that, in the Old Testament, God came in the form of man. Whereas in the incarnation, that's when God took on flesh, he actually became a man. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ was born, and he said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Obviously, a unique conception there. In fact, Sanders points out that in the Garden of Eden, where God addresses Eve, in Genesis chapter 3, he says to her that um, your seed or your offspring, some translations put it, is actually the only time in the Bible where it uses that phrase of a woman, your seed. Every other instance, it's always 
the man's seed. Clearly pointing out a unique conception, a unique birth. And Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, make it clear that Mary had no physical relation with a man until after Jesus was born. Jesus was a result of the work of the Holy Spirit, which is something the Apostles' Creed picks up. The Apostles' Creed is not in the Bible, but it's a sort of summary of what the Apostles taught and what we believe about Jesus. It says this, I believe, or we believe, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Later, as time went on, the early church fathers, in trying to stop heresy and wrong teaching come about, they, they formed what we now call the Nicene Creed, which sums up more about what we believe about the person of Jesus. It says this, and actually most of this you'll find in, in John chapter 1, where they have drawn a lot of it from. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made a man. And then the final creed that I want to quote to you is from the Athanasian Creed as well, which again sums up further some of the things that we would believe about the person of, of Jesus Christ. It says this, Now this is the true faith, that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh. These creeds sum up beautifully what we believe about the person of Jesus, the God-man, God becoming man. And you see, in this time, you may feel slightly restricted, slightly uh, less joy because we can't do the things that we once could do at the moment. Imagine how Jesus, the eternal Son of God, must have felt when, in the incarnation when he took on flesh. Jesus emptied himself and became a servant, the Bible tells us. The omnipresent one, the one who can be one who is everywhere, was willing to be confined to the form of a man. The eternal one who was outside of time chose to enter into time and be subject to the limitations of time. The all-powerful one who flung stars into space became a human who had to work with his hands to earn food to eat. The one who sustains everything with his word 
for a season became a helpless babe who was sustained at his mother's breast. It's just mind-blowing, isn't it, to think that Jesus would do that. But why did he chose? Why did he choose to do that? Why not just come as he had done before and just appear and start preaching? The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. What scripture makes crystal clear is that from creation onwards, everything was coming towards this time when God in his sovereignty would orchestrate everything so it was the perfect time for his son to come, to live amongst us, and to die to save us, to provide a way for humanity to be forgiven and reconciled to God and adopted into the family of God. And however, restoration in God doesn't just stop there because all of creation was subject to decay when we rebelled against God. Actually, Jesus is going to restore all creation. So if you're in Christ today, we have a glorious future awaiting us as we look forward to what God is going to do. But Paul tells us that Jesus chose to be born a man under the law of God. That law that all of us are born under and that law that all of us have failed to fulfill. He came and fully fulfilled it, and then died on a cross as a man so that he could take on himself the sins of mankind so that all who turned to him could be forgiven before God and be saved by God. And not only saved, but adopted into the very family of God, a secure future forever for all eternity. You see, Jesus is the eternal Son of God, and he chose to become a man and dwell among us in order to die so that he could become the saviour of mankind. And for those who turn to him, which most of us in the room already have, we should day by day choose to die to living for ourselves so that we are free to live for God. Amen? Amen. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I'm just going to pray. And can I encourage you to, if you're thinking, yeah, I want to know Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want that future for myself. Then just pray this prayer along with me now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I have done that are wrong, that offend you. Please help me to live the rest of my life for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that, I'd love to speak to you uh, or get in contact uh, with you. So if you were to you know, grab me at the end, I'd love to talk to you more about that decision that you have made. But that's it for me this morning. Jesus 
There never was a time before him. He's always existed. And he came into the well because he loves you and he loves me. And now it's our job as his people to let the rest of the world know that so that every nation can swear allegiance to and bow the knee to Jesus. Amen. Anna.